0: Hey everyone, Aaron Stewart, Data Access Golf. Thanks for being with me today on this live broadcast. It's a Data Monday. We're going to go over the uh, big win, first tournament of the 2020 season, which is, right, we've been gone for two weeks. So we're back at it and going to have a lot of fun, going to discuss some changes coming to Data Access Golf for the new year uh, that I hope will be, yeah, totally great, totally fun. So let's jump into it. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Welcome back. Thanks for joining. 2020, right? 2019. But it's really 2020 for the PGA Tour. So off we go again for another cool um, PGA Tour season. So uh, this is going to be different for uh, Data Access Golf. I actually had kind of a... uh, powwow sort of a business strategy audit with a couple guys one for the podcast and also one for the lives and Facebook groups so there's going to be quite a few changes coming up that you'll notice over the course of the next two three weeks we want to make sure that by January 1 all the changes have been made so you'll start to see some of that very soon like for the podcast you'll see that there's a change in the cover in the cover what do they call the cover art to start for this year you also see you'll also see some changes in the uh, graphics coming about the different podcasts and the videos as far as these live videos go we'll continue to do these every monday to go over the data just because there's so much data to cover that not having a presentation kind of makes it a little more difficult i think to cover it but what we're going to be doing doing differently is we'll go ahead and we'll broadcast live on the facebook page we'll put the audio out as a podcast so people can still consume it as a podcast but after a week once the next um, data access monday show um, the the data monday show happens we're going to take all of those videos and stick them into our members area only so if you want to get in on that and i will be going live with a lot of different product reviews and things like that only within the private facebook group so if you look for data access golf I think it's called the private club. If you go and get in there, there's just three questions. We're also going to kind of change to make sure that we're discussing everything with the right folks. And so we've identified kind of our tribe, our folks as being guys that are over 30 guys and and, and guys and girls who are over 30, who work a nine to five job, who are too busy to practice every single day. So that's what we're going to be really focused on as far as our show and the instruction and all that we get into is really about that and about our health and nutrition and about uh, different strategies to just make sure that we amateurs who are working full time have access to the very best possible tools and technology and strategies and lessons and everything that we need to make sure that when we are able to get out on the weekends and play team with with our gang or go out and play with the kids you know quick nine at night or whatever that we are getting the very most out of our practice. Um, And you'll see that as the app comes out, it's really geared towards that. So again, the Facebook group's really going to be for folks that are over 30 who have full-time jobs and we're not going to allow any professionals in there. I was going to limit, I was thinking about limiting handicap, but I've decided not to do that. So anybody who fits within those categories, 30 and older, um, a 9 to 5 or a full-time job or just has too much time to to dedicate, you know, tons of hours each day. Essentially somebody who cannot practice every day. And then a non-professional. And we're not going to allow any professionals in the group. Sorry guys, we love to watch you, but we have stuff to talk about that is um unique to us, right? So I know that there's a few that have already asked about that and that's just the way it's going to have to be. So, based on a couple of my tweets, it probably isn't going to go very well. But that's the, that's the way it's going to be. You're also going to see that every time we do a live and every time we do a podcast, you're going to start seeing we've built out some automation. So you're going to start seeing graphics for those shows kind of di- being distributed down through all the social media platforms. I mean, we're talking Tumblr and uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and you'll see them everywhere and, and we've spread them out, so hopefully nobody gets burned out, but we're going to try to build this group up. The Facebook group is really where we're going to hang out and where we're going to do most of our, our work and our one-to-ones. And uh, we'll definitely continue to do the podcasts as much as we can. But the Facebook group will be kind of our main focus going forward, and so hopefully all of you will join us there. So this is obviously a Data Monday, so we're going to start doing this. I'm going to try something new here as well. I know that many of you who have watched these Data Mondays in the past, I go ahead and I share a screen that usually has a keynote up on there and I just try to run through it. Well, um, I figured out how to use the iPad to do that. It kind of gives me the ability to draw on the iPad, which is very cool. So we're gonna go ahead and use the iPad today. I don't know, (laughs) we're doing this live and we're doing it on the fly. So hopefully it works out, but if it doesn't, um, hey, it's live, right? So here we go, I'm gonna bring it up right now. Oh, that worked out pretty good. So I don't have picture and picture on this. I don't know if anybody really wants picture and picture on this, um, but if you do, we could try it. That does not, that did not go picture and picture though, did it? Boom, there you go. And then if I add that, that didn't work. I do that and then picture and picture. Is that there? but i'm not exactly sure why it didn't work huh. well, well we'll go from there no picture and picture hopefully that's okay it doesn't it looks like it doesn't look like picture and picture works on the ipad so oh i am completely wrong look at that picture and picture okay i've got my i'm gonna have my my ipad right here so we'll kind of go through it and we'll we'll see how it goes but you see I've got all these cool I've got all these cool colors down here so uh, we'll be able to do some different things so first as we always do we kind of go through and get to know the player a little bit and Joaquin isn't somebody that we know very well he's been on the tour since 2018 but as you can see there in the very first one he was let me choose a color green it's green okay so right there, if I circled it there for forty-four weeks, from May twenty seventeen to May to April twenty eighteen, he was the number one amateur in the world. So he's been playing really good golf for a very long time. It's so funny, it looks like green and, and black almost. I wonder if I change colors if that will help. We'll see what we'll see what it does as we, as we kind of keep going on. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what? Look at that. That little green dot is showing up because I've got. Ah, that's fascinating. Okay, so we're going to I'm going let's see if I get rid of that. I'm going to use purple now. Let's see if that works better. Oh, I think the purple works better. So, May 2017 to April 2018, he was the number one amateur in the world. Then within he wanted to play for the University of South Florida, as you can see there, but his English was so poor he couldn't pass the TOEFL test, which basically analyzes to see if you have enough of uh, if you know enough English where you can actually handle going to school right and if you don't then you can't get into school so he couldn't get into school at south florida so he just joined the uh became professional just turned pro and tried to make it that way pretty good decision right he played so well as an amateur i have it marked right here that he qualified to play in the u.s open the british open and the masters as an amateur now he chose he chose not to do that um, he wanted to get out on tour, so he actually forgo. I think it was the U.S. Open and, and the Masters invitation to try to make it as actually. No, I think it was the U.S. Open, the British Open. He for for what he just um, what gave up those invitations. Now we know that there's been a rule change where amateurs are going to be able to play uh, in these professional tournaments, and um, I, I mean they're going to be able to play as professionals and use the invitation they won as an amateur. So that's a different change right there for the coming year. And I think they actually made that change for, I think it was for the, it was for the, was it for the British? I can't remember. But they made the change at the end of the year. So now that's going to be, uh, it's going to be available to them. So that would have been great for Joaquin, but he still did really well. As you can see here, he's one of only three players, one of only three players to completely bypass the web.com tour or the corn furry tour as we know it now the only other two to do that jordan smith and john rom so pretty amazing company to join there he's the first pga tour winner from chile so you know he's just like a, a huge hero back in his country in chile which is i think pretty cool i've i've had the opportunity to travel around uh, japan with a a, gen- a gentleman who who's a, who's american but he speaks really really good japanese and he became famous in japan and so here in the United States he could walk around and nobody knew him at all but when you got to Japan people would just fall over themselves when they saw him and so I I was traveling in a train and stuff with him and and people were asking for his autograph and falling all over themselves so it's kind of funny I think Joaquin can probably walk around the US and be totally fine and and somewhat uh you know somewhat uh anonymous I guess walking around but But back in Chile, I'm sure that they will freak out, you know, if he shows up there. So very cool. I think that that's that's kind of like the best kind of famous, right? Where you can kind of, uh, where you're living, you can kind of, you know, sneak, kind of keep under the radar. But then you go home and you can have the crazy fame if you want it. So that's what he's got going for him. Anyway, and I love this too. This is so cool. Youngest player, uh, youngest international player to win on the PGA Tour since 1923. That's a cool, that's a nice little feather in the cap. So happy for him there. We always like to talk about how this victory helps them in the world rankings and also in the FedEx Cup. Uh, in the world golf rankings, he went from number 84 to number 50, right? I, I totally, totally missed that, didn't I? We have to get better at this. Number 50. That was still bad. Number 50. Anyway, you, you get the point. Right there, number 50. So uh, really cool stuff for Joaquin there, up to number 50 to number 50 in the world. And then as we know, with the FedEx Cup, right? It was the first FedEx Cup tournament of the 2020 season. So of course he's number one, not a surprise there. Okay, what does this do in the world rankings? Actually, it didn't do a whole lot. You can see here at the bottom that, um, I mean, in the FedEx Cup, we've basically got a bunch of no names. There's really not a lot I can do there to to bring that up, is there? So. That's really not a very good screen. Can you guys see? I don't know if you can see that or not. But anyway, we'll continue to play it here. But you've got Joaquin. uh, He's number one. But like Tom Hoagie, he's been trending well. He could have a good 2020. uh, Tom could. Um, Harris English, we know Harris. We know Brian Harmon. We know Nate Lashley, right, who's who's sitting there in third. He won last year, right? Kind of a no-name, came out of nowhere and got his first victory. And then a bunch of folks there that we don't really know except Victor Horland, right? Almost made the PGA Tour just with his play on exemptions, missed it by just a few points, and just went down to the Corn Ferry Tour and got it done anyway. So very good player there, and I think he just set—he just recently set the or tied the PGA Tour record for numbers of rounds in the 60s. I think it was what 12 or 17 or something, but anyway, we'll see if he can keep that if he can break that record. Um, and and it was a cool report, actually, when I read it. It's like um, shooting in the 60s does not have quite the effect that it used to, and so they went back and looked at the, man, I can't, I should have paid attention, but anyway, they went back and looked at it, and the player who did it previously had that many 60s in a row, finished much higher than uh, Victor's been doing when he's shooting his 60s, so what players are just getting better? Scores are just getting lower, and you gotta do, you gotta go lower to get more out of it. So, pretty interesting stuff there. As far as the world golf rankings, not a lot of changes here, just because not a lot of folks were playing this week. Not only not here and, and not in Europe. Sergio Garcia obviously went over in Europe, but you've got Francesco Molinari really being the only person who made a jump, and he went from 11th to 9th, which dropped. Then uh, Xander Shoffley from 9th to 10th. Right, so really the only changes is there. Um, let me see, I'm going to, I like the color up. Okay, this is one of my favorites. Okay, so what we've got here is, I'm gonna have to change that, aren't I? With that, let me do this. Is everybody, is, did everybody get upset if I turn my green screen off right here? Oh, so if I turn the green screen off, now we've got, ooh, nice. We've got Tiger Woods here in the green. That worked out way better. Okay, so Tiger Woods, we talk about this, At Data Access Golf, early on, I tried to come up with a number that kind of gives us an idea of where these players fit. Because we'll talk about a Matt Kuchar. We'll talk about a Max Homa. We'll talk about, you know, Phil Mickelson. And we always have like some kind of a, it's a struggle. At least it was a struggle for me to kind of figure out how do I compare these players one to another? And especially from year to year, that's pretty easy, right? When it's year to year because we have the FedEx Cup rankings to do that but how do I compare them over the course of their entire career? And so I came up with this number, this data called the consistency scale, this consistency rating, and essentially it takes every tournament that they've ever entered, and then it takes the cut that they've made and you divide the you divide the number of tournaments into the cuts and you get some kind of a percentage. And this to me represents their consistency over the course of their entire career, which I think is a, it's a really cool number to kind of see how they compare. And what it's done, too, is if you look at Tiger Woods, he is the only player. And I just looked at those who had won. But Tiger Woods is the only player that that has made more than 90 percent of his cuts over the course of his career, um, who won last year. And obviously these I left some names in there just as we start re- resetting the the um, resetting the right because it's a new year. So we'll reset all the stats and everything we we had been looking in our. Benchmark numbers for 2018 numbers. We're now going to be looking at 2019 numbers. Um, But anyway, I'll start resetting this as we get more folks. Um, Obviously here, if you look at this, I'll just read you some of the names to kind of get an idea of where we group them based on their consistency level. So you've got Tiger Woods at 90. Um, He makes over 90% of his cuts. Those that I call elite players are within 80 and 89%. That would be Kepka, McElroy, Molinari, Dustin Johnson, Mickelson, Rose and Cantlay of winners of winners last year and then solid players in the 70 to 79 range which we can see here that's where Joaquin fits in. Okay, he's he's been in 44 events and he's made 32 cuts and now he's got a victory. So he makes 73% of his cuts. So that consistency rating rating puts him in at, at a solid position which essentially means they're usually going to keep their card. But that's going to be about it. That's going to be where they hover, right? And so you've got, like, J.B. Holmes. um, You've got Paul Casey kind of fitting into that group. The good category includes folks like uh, Kisner, McDowell, Pan, Palmer, and Kevin Na. Okay, so you can kind of see he's just a little bit above those players in the solid category. And then you've got the good players. They're the ones that sort of, like, Kevin Na obviously won this tournament, right? The Greenbrier last year. So he got a victory, but he's one of those that barely kind of keeps his card. He's had a few good years recently, but over the course of his career has made between 60 and 69% of his cuts. And then 59% and below, those are the guys that are struggling. They're probably going to have to go down the corn Ferry tour and qualify again. And they're always just fighting to keep their cards. Okay. Those that make 59 or below as far as their um, percentage cuts made their consistency scale. So as we mentioned, uh, a real solid player in uh, Joaquin Neiman, right? He's, he'll get, he fits there solidly. Now he's got a victory, so he's got um, some status on the PG tour. He'll be able to play in every tournament he wants to play in and he's got two years at an exemption for two years, right? So very cool there. Okay, next, the benchmark review. Obviously one of my favorites, sort of a signature um, thing that we do here on Data Access Golf. You can see I went through and reformatted it so it's a little bit bigger. For those of you that don't know us, that are joining us for the first time, the benchmarks are really a set of numbers that we came up with to make sure that we as amateurs, when we're out practicing, we are practicing on those parts of our games that are the weakest. And we are attempting to try to get our games up to what we call a tour quality level. And and that's what I've done here. I've basically looked at all the 2019 numbers of the PGA Tour, and we've created benchmarks essentially where if we're performing above any one of these benchmarks, it's very safe and very um, appropriate to say that you have a tour quality game when it comes to that particular um, category. Okay. And that I think should be good enough for us amateurs. I just, I have a, one of the the biggest frustrations for me and, and probably for a lot of you is when you go out to play with some buddies who don't practice, who really don't, take golf as seriously as maybe we do. And then they don't um, play very well and they're upset. And you're like, dude, you don't, you don't practice. You don't really care about golf. How in the world can you be that upset at your game when you're not doing what it takes to have a decent game, right? You're not putting the, the work in. And obviously here at Data Access Golf, we know we don't have a lot of hours. So we are going to practice efficiently. And we're gonna make sure that we're practicing on those things that matter to get our games up as good as they possibly can be with the limited amount of time that we have to practice. Okay, That's the whole goal of what we do here at Data Access Golf. And so this is what we've kind of created. So we'll always look at the winner of that tournament and we'll look to see what they've done in their game. And usually it's kind of a cool trend. We'll see that they, in order to win a golf tournament, they have to play better than their averages. And you'll see that in some certain areas they've played better and that was enough to get them the victory. And so we are going to have those times where we have kind of a benchmark. Our game sort of in a benchmark. But then one or two categories we're going to do really, really well in any given day. And those are the days that we're going to shoot some really cool low scores because everything else of our game is pretty close to tour quality. Okay, But it gives us the ability to be consistent and it gives us the ability to have those rounds where Everything else is consistent, is just clicking along, and then we have really good stats in one of the, one or two of these categories, and that's enough for us to have a really good round, okay? So let's take a look at these really quickly. Um, first off, driving, driving accuracy, we look at that first. So for the tournament, Joaquin had hit 64% of his fairways. He averaged in 2019 62%, so he was actually pretty close to his, his averages, just a little above, and that's typically what we see. Um, our benchmark then is 55%. And players who hit less than 55% of their fairways and regulation, Jordan Spieth, Phil Mickelson, and Peter Uline from last year. Okay, And you can say, yes, those three struggled a little bit last year because their drivers were a little off. Okay, But they were less than 55%. Some of them quite a bit less. If they were more than 55%, we would say they have a tour quality game. And, and driving would not be something they have to work on. But those three players definitely need to work on their driver, for sure. Okay, greens and regulation, number two right there. Uh, for the tournament, and here's where we see Joaquin really went crazy. He hit 81% of his greens and regulation. That gave him a lot of birdie putts. Okay, so now if he's putting well he's gonna win this tournament, right? And so we'll take a look at that in just a second. He averaged 68% greens and regulation for the year, which is only three points higher than our benchmark. And that's kind of the low number for us, right? So typically um, Joaquin is right around that benchmark that we have set for ourselves at 65%. Okay, those players who hit less than 65% of their greens and regulation for 2019, Brant Snedeker, Justin Rose, and Francisco Molinari. Okay, solid players right? You've got solid players in there, right? You've got, what, two major champions and Brant Snedeker's, right, won the FedEx Cup. So, I mean, we've got some good players there, right? Okay. Sand saves for the tournament. Another really stellar performance and why Walking got it done. 83% up and down out of the sand. You can see our benchmark is 45% and um, 2019, our benchmark, I mean, twenty nine in twenty nineteen, Joaquin averaged fifty four percent. Our benchmark is forty five percent. That is unchanged from our previous year's benchmarks. And uh, those that did not get up and down out of this, and this was kind of a cool thing as I went through. But we'll go. We'll go. Paul Casey, Keegan Bradley, and Jonathan Vegas are those are players that did not get up and down out of the sand for twenty nineteen. Okay, only for twenty nineteen, more than forty five percent of the time. One of the individuals that we used in this as, as a player who got less than 45% was Tony Finell. Right. And we always talk about how players know their numbers. Well, Tony Finau obviously knew that his sand game was not very good. And Tony actually gave me a sand, uh, a sand a bunker uh, lesson once, which was pretty funny when I saw that he, you know, wasn't playing very well in 20 in 2018. So he was making less, getting up and down less than 45% of the time. He worked on that part of his game. He was far better than 45% in 2019. So he's not on our list anymore. Okay, strokes gain putting. This is really, we really say anything around zero and above would be considered pretty good. There's really no way for us to track our strokes gain with everybody else on the course, right? Strokes gain is really a statistic or data about uh, taking one particular player and comparing it against, comparing him against are them against everybody else who's playing that particular day. So in this particular day, on this particular, in this particular tournament, um, Joaquin picked up 2.1 strokes gain putting for the tournament where he averaged in 2019 less than what we'd considered to be our benchmark. So I've got that mark in red. So really we would say that Joaquin needs to practice his putting, right? But for this tournament, he putted very well. He picked up two strokes on the field. Okay, scrambling. Um, interesting numbers here. So for the tournament, he got up and down seventy-nine percent of the time. He averaged sixty percent of the time in uh, the, the regular season in twenty nineteen. So again, you can see here that he has really exceeded in every single category. Right? He exceeded in driving accuracy. He exceeded in um, he exceeded in greens of regulation. He exceeded in sand saves. He exceeded in strokes, game putting. He exceeded in scrambling, right? 79% up and down from around the green as opposed to 60% that he averaged in, in 2019. And then our benchmark there is 55%, three players who didn't get up and down, scramble more than 55%, Phil Mickelson. Can you believe that? I don't normally put two players in, but Phil Mickelson's known to be a, right, a wizard with his wedge, and he's not getting up and down. He, but I mean, I, I know he's a wizard with his wedge, but it seems like he's he sometimes plays the super risky shot, like the the huge right, the massive lob shot, the crazy lob shot versus just bump and run the dang thing. But yeah, he does some uh, crazy stuff. I think just to make it fun. Our benchmark then for getting up and down is fifty five percent. So if we are if we keep our stats and we're getting up and down less than fifty five percent, then we would spend some time. Chipping, okay, and putting, but chipping is really where we're focused on here for scrambling. We want to get it within a five-foot circle. And so if we look at uh, five foot, five feet putting here, um, Joaquin, we don't track that in the tournament, so we always just look at the 2019 number or the previous year's number. Joaquin made 78% of his five-footers. We expect that number, our benchmark, to be 80%. So we would tell Joaquin, look, you have got to practice your, your putting. Right. We've got strokes gain. You aren't doing very well. And then as far as your five footers below 80 percent. So those are the two putting is the area where he really needs to focus on his game. This particular tournament, he did quite well. Two point one nine seven strokes gain on that. Okay, so that's our benchmark. Those that did not make 80 percent of their five footers for the year of 2019. Gary Woodland, Tommy Fleetwood and Tony Finau. Those are good players right all of those you'd want you would take their games any 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 chance you got right so and then you've got putts per round well um, Joaquin averages 29.1 putts per round our benchmark is 29.5 so he's pretty close to that those that that um, had more than 29 29 and a half putts per round Brandon Grace Bubba Watson and Corey Connors right you've got a, a winner there Brandon Grace has been playing well for a number of years Bubba Watson not known as a really a strong putter but so we can kind of see him here. So there it is. How did he get it done? Well, he, he basically got it done because he outperformed all his averages in every category we checked except five footers. Okay, so that's pretty amazing. Now, this leads me to a discussion on putting. And I'm going to harp on this probably the whole year. I changed midstream last year about how we should practice putting. After much thought and after looking at some really cool statistics, from a couple of different sites, a couple couple different websites, um, one of them being Data Golf and the other being the PGA Tour. Okay, really cool stats here. So, if you can, if it's just it's commonsensical, if, if it's just total common sense, if we talk it out, okay. So if we get to a place, and that's why I only look at five footers now. I used to look at ten footers, fifteen footers, twenty footers, and twenty-five footers, and 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 I I was having uh, my folks track all that. We don't do that anymore. We just look at five-footers. And, and here's the here's the reasoning behind it. Um, if you can make 90%, and I really, my goal is 90%. I want to make 90% of my five-footers. So if I know I can make 90% of my five-footers, all I have to do with a wedge, or all I have to do with a sand wedge, or all I have to do with my lag putting is get it within a 10-foot circle, right? Five feet on either side of the hole, And nine out of 10 times, I'm going to make that putt. So, for example, if I've got like an eagle putt on a par five and I've got like a 50 footer, I just know I've got to get it somewhere within five feet. And then if I make that, I got the birdie, right? Well, that takes a lot of pressure off my lag putting If I know it just has to, I mean, 10 feet, you look at 10 feet, right? With the hole in the middle of it, that's a lot of, that's a lot of area. Instead of trying to focus just on one tiny little hole or the pin or try to get it close that way. It does the same thing out of the sand. It does the same thing when you're pitching around the green, trying to get it up and down. If you just picture a 10-foot circle around the hole and you have to try to just get into that area instead of trying to get a kick in or whatever, takes pressure off your game, then you can make 9 and ten out of, nine out of 10 of those. I mean, how would that take your pressure off your, your wedge game if you had 100 yards in? It's, it's a big difference, right? Instead of being freaked out and sick about a 5-footer, You just got it. You just know it. So I recommend now that you spend, we spend all of us, all of us amateurs who are over 30 with full-time jobs who don't have, you know, time to practice every single day. When we have time to practice our putting, 90% of that time is five feet and in, five footers. We want to make five feet and in, right? So if you're uncomfortable, four footers, practice a bunch of four footers, three footers, two footers, whatever it takes. But that five foot circle, that's the scoring zone we've got to be able to make 90% of those. I'm going to keep the benchmark at 80 because that just fits in really well with the PGA Tour. But for our games as amateurs, if we can make 90% of our five-footers, our scores will drop drastically because we're going to take so much pressure off the rest of our game. So that's why I'm pitching that right now and sticking to it. Hopefully that makes sense. We'll talk more about it and sort of the data behind it. But the data basically states, look, if we amateurs can be amazing, rock-solid, five feet and in, it will change our games. It will change the way we can score the ball. Okay, cool. Okay, we'll keep going. The money. This is one of my favorites as well. Okay, obviously they make tons of money on the PGA Tour. I need to make that bigger though. I think that's hard to see, so I'm going to figure out a way to make this bigger so we can see it all. But um, essentially, for the tournament in the Greenbrier, for the Greenbrier, what uh, Keene took took home one point three five million dollars, and then we and he did that in two hundred and fifty nine strokes. So what does that mean? So that means he made $337,000 per day. He made $67,500 per hour, assuming a five-hour round. I know that they're going to try to get that short, but it's still a five-hour round. Um, That means he made, with his 259 strokes, he made uh, over $5,000 per stroke. And for his career, he's he's made almost $4 million, so that... 1.3 million really contributed immensely, right? It was about a third of anything he's ever made from this one paycheck. And so the money that he makes per cut, he's made 32 cuts, is he brings in $124,827 per tournament if he makes the cut. And just for fun, these are funsies. If you look at some of these other players, Tiger Woods up there at the top. So Tiger Woods averages $365,000 Three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars in prize money every time he makes the cut, and he makes the cut over ninety percent of the time. Okay, he's just a cash-making machine. He's a he's a freaking ATM, right? He just walks around printing money. Uh, and then below him, you've got Rory McElroy who makes three hundred and thirty-six thousand per cut. Dustin Johnson who makes two hundred and eighty-nine thousand per cut. You've got Brooks Koepka that makes two hundred and eighty-six thousand per cut, and he just had leapfrogged uh, late. Towards the end of the year, he leapfrogged Justin Thomas, who makes $277,000 per cut. Okay. Now these are, again, I only looked at winners and we'll probably do it a little bit differently this time around, but for right now, that's just winners. So great win. A lot of cash coming in for Joaquin there and we'll go to the next page. Okay. This is it, right? It's 20, it's 2020. We have no major champions yet. So here I just kind of list them out so we can kind of see how we're progressing I'm going to go ahead and put the date on these so we know when the dates are coming and then we'll put in the champions as they happen. So that is it. So Joaquin, awesome. First player from Chile to win on the PGA Tour. Picks up $1.35 bucks for his efforts. Goes to 50th in the world. Leads the FedEx Cup. And I saw that he is, at least right now, scheduled to play in the Sanderson's. Which is, I, Sanderson Farms open, right? Is that what it's called? Sanderson Farms? I'll know more tomorrow when I look into it. How cool is that? He wins and he's like, you know what? I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep it going. Good for him. So many players will win and then just like freak out so much and get so drunk they can't play again. But Joaquin's in it. He's in it to win the next one. So I I thought that was really cool. And hopefully he stays in it. Hopefully he actually tees it up and gets it done. So thanks for joining me today. We'll go ahead and get to the big, the full screen. Where is it? Right here. There he is. I'm back. Okay. So thanks for joining me today. Again, the first Data Monday of the 2020 season. A lot of changes coming. Come hang out with us on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. I think it's Data Access Golf Private Club. That sounds pretty fancy, right? That sounds pretty exclusive. Uh, No greens fees. um, No monthly minimums on food. It's just a private club that you can just enjoy with us. We'll talk. I'm going to do a lot of like, I want to do a lot of product reviews. I have bought about everything you can ever buy as far as, as practice Uh, a practice items some of them are awesome and some of them really suck so we're gonna go start doing those that will be done in the practice that will be done in the uh, group I'll probably do one of those a week I go live once a week to kind of show a new product and a lot of questions and all of that will will answer and it's just I wanted to be a place where um, those of us who don't have who have the nine-to-five that are working every day just have a place to hang out and talk golf talk shop in a place that's really positive supportive um, any negative, any negativity or crap or trash talking and stuff, I'm just going to throw them out. I mean, it's a dumb way to play golf. And I've talked a lot about it mentally. It's a dumb way to play golf with negativity. You can't play your best golf that way. It just, it's impossible. Neurologically speaking, you just can't. So we're not going to do it, let that happen in the Facebook group either. So I'll, I'll warn you once. And if you go negative again, I'm just going to boot it. Just don't care, right? We're just going to have a really cool, positive, fun place to hang out for the Facebook group, and we're going to talk about how we folks, 30 and over, with full-time jobs, can play our very best golf by leveraging technology and leveraging some of the best practice techniques inside. So even when the snow flies, we're going to be able to get better. And again, many of you know my journey. I was AT, AT handicap. I worked with Fred Shoemaker. I used a bunch of technology over the course of two winters to get down to a zero handicap, and I believe anybody can do it. Anybody can be an amazing golfer. And I've got Fred Shoemaker that can show you how to do it, kind of tap into your own natural abilities. And then I can show you how to use the technologies to really hone that in and get get very, very good inside. So 9 to 5 job will still not kill your golf game. You'll be a great golfer if you just stick with us through Data Access Golf in our season two, show one of season two. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, Aaron Stewart from Data Access Golf saying better data,